Welcome to Cafecito with Rosie on air, where you'll get to know local professionals, entrepreneurs, movers, and shakers, and how they're helping their community. Hear exclusive interviews from thriving individuals, get inspired, and learn from them. And now, your host, author, speaker, commissioner, Medicare broker, business owner, published author, and business trailblazer, Rosie Paulson. Welcome to another show of Cafecito with Rosie on air. As we continue with 2022, we are in the month of February, the month of love, the month where everybody just has different vibes about what is happening in the world because we need to see the hope for our future as we live in this earth for this temporary time. As we continue with the theme for our quarterly, uh, part of this quarterly year, the first quarter of 2022, Purpose, today we are on the first week of February. But the theme for the month of February on the business side is to acknowledge and face your fear. That's what we're going to be talking about this next four weeks. First of all, today I want to tell you a little bit about my guest. Her name is Elena Armijo. She's a professional certified coach, member of the International Coaching Federation, and certified there to lead. Facilitator has a strong track. She has a strong track record of supporting clients and organizations in creating impact, culture shifts, and leadership development. Her unique ability to identify common patterns while generating new awareness and reinvention leaves clients with the ability to make stronger choices, clear decisions, and powerful steps towards their desired out and outcomes. See, this show is about featuring people, who they are, what they do, and how they inspire in the community. Welcome, Elena. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so well, and I'm so excited to be here with you and your audience. Thank you so much. And I, and it's so funny that, you know, I get to meet you from somebody else, but it's like I just saw your face today, but we instantly <laughs> connected. Yes, um, 100%. <laughs> yes, it's like we friends forever. And i so excited that there is another Latina and there's another woman making a difference and impacting our community. So I know you don't live in Tampa. So tell us a little bit about, we want to know about the person, Elena. Where are you from originally? Your culture background? Uh, you know, what was your childhood like? Oh, I love this question. Okay. Well, I grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So, um, you know, growing up on the border near El Paso, Texas, it's a very small town. It's close to El Paso. And, you know, for a long time, I thought I was of Mexican descent because I didn't know any difference. You know, the, the culture there is very rich with a Mexican community, uh, multicultural, but a heavy emphasis on growing up in, in that environment. So I, I remember in elementary, I learned for the first time that, number one, I was biracial and I didn't even know what that meant. You know, my mother is white and my father is, is Latin. And wow. then I learned that we were from Spain and Peru which was oh, wow. completely different than the Mexican culture I had been, I had grown up in, mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like I have had a little taste of a lot of different cultures and have seen 
the messy middle of everything. You know, when I would, when I describe to people growing up as a Latina, I identify as a cisgender Latina in the world. Uh-huh. And, you know, depending on what room I'm in, some people will say my name, Elena, which I love. Uh-huh. And some people will say my name, Elena. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. it's always been this, this, uh, middle ground that I've had to navigate, which I think a lot of, a lot of us understand in terms yeah. of code switching. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I always consider myself a hybrid. I mean, like I did not speak Spanish as long as I've been speaking English. Right. Exactly. But I wanted to be an American so much. And the funny thing is people also did not know where Ecuador was. So, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of relate <laughs> with you with people, Peru, what's that? You know, exactly. people would say, oh, Ecuador is in Africa. And I was like, No, it's not. But, you know, it's how you see life. And I believe I embrace my culture and I embrace my difference and made a difference in the world. And I think that's where this new generation of people that have grown up seeing our our diversity, um, they have hope that they don't, you know, we have set up the boundaries. We have set up the um, um, culture awareness so people now are know that there's a Peru and there's a Ecuador and that we all have different um, food tastes and different slangs and different things. So it's easier now when people say, where are you from originally, that they're just trying to put you in a box because exactly. of their not lack of diversity uh, culturally, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, are you married? Uh, do you have any children? Well, no, let's see. I have been in a partnership with uh, my dear partner, Jonathan Aaron Boykin, for seven years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe this is a millennial conversation, but both of us talk about often how we really enjoy being in this deep partnership and not having marriage attached to it for us. Yes. Um, you know, we we do want to be married in the future, I think, but we want it to be something that we co-create versus something we do because it's the next step. Right. And see, that's that's so important because that's what happened. You know, people get to do the next thing and the next thing. Mm-hmm. And but that you don't live yeah. in the moment. You're not present. You're not in there. So it's it's just amazing that you guys taking the ownership of what you want to do and be happy yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. Think, yeah, that's I think one of the things that people they they tend to have a partner or something that makes them happy but they don't learn to be happy with the season in their lives that they are in. 100%. And I think we feel that same way about, you know, the kids conversation as well. Mm-hmm. We definitely want to be parents and we're constantly in conversations about why and what does that look like and what kind of parents do we want to be instead of, you know, a very easy conversation would be, you know, I'm 40, he's 34, so he mm-hmm. is younger than I am. And so, you know, at this time, I think we as women, we start to feel very pressured around okay. timeline and do, you know, how how good are our eggs at this point, <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. and I, well, I, I, I am definitely in those conversations and I am aware of them. I refuse to let them be the guiding, you know, way that we create life. So, yeah. you know, and, we're and, really trying. And Elena, I have a girlfriend of mine that she waited to have her babies. And she understands so clearly now why she did, because she is so patient, pa- um, patient with her mm. daughter. Uh, yeah. And oh, my God. And, and she has helped her daughter just become this little sunshine. I mean, she's so secure on herself. She's such a, in such a young age, she's learned her leadership style, what she likes, what she doesn't like. 
but that comes from she had her when she was ready to be a mom and she was able to be the best mom she can be to mm. her right mm. instead of doing it because <laughs> it was the next thing to do and because exactly. you know my poor children I always tell people my poor children are survivors because if they survive my motherhood oh my god <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> my baby every parent too. feels that way yeah <laughs> I'm sure I will feel that way. <laughs> yeah. And more power to you. More power Thank to you, Elena. And now people, uh, I, I just read your uh, biography and there mm. is something very interesting. And here it says that you used to sing in the opera. Yes. And you had that profession for about 10 years. So tell me, how did you, uh, how do you start there? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you start, how do you start? I think music finds you. That's what I always say is that you, you can try to escape it, but if you were meant to be mm. a singer and you were meant to be in music, it will always find a way to pull you back in. And that's sort of how my journey was. I was interested in music as a kid very early on. And my parents were uh, gracious and kind enough to figure out a way to make it work and support it. You know, I remember when they would, you know, say this is a very big investment to have piano lessons and then later on in life to have singing lessons. And so I was very aware of how hard they were sacrificing to make it work that I could actually study music. And I found my way in a university at the New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. And I did my undergrad in music education. And I had a lot of opportunities to perform there. So that was really uh, eye-opening and, and kind of my first step into the opera world. And then I was afforded a full-ride scholarship uh, at the University of Washington in Seattle, where I got a performance degree. And again, I sort of was always on this path to teach. And um, I kept saying yes to singing gigs because people kept asking and, and they kept paying me to sing. And so um, from Seattle, I found my way to New York, which is what most singers do at some point. Mm -hmm. and was very early on uh, the path to singing opera in New York, which took off pretty quickly. Wow. Yeah. And so I got to see the world in my 20s, um, singing oh, wow. around stages everywhere. And I'm really, I'm really grateful for that career because I think that I got to be around all different types of people and in situations I probably never would have been in if I'd stayed, you know, local in, right. in, in New Mexico. Right. And now, what was your favorite place to sing at and why was it why oh my was gosh. It so special about it? Uh, oh, that's really hard because I have so many favorite spots. But I think there there was this little opera house in Hungary oh. in uh, in Europe that I, I'd never even been to, you know, Hungary. And oh. I remember being there and being surrounded by this beautiful architecture and all of the culture and with my friends who were also performing on the stage. And I just thought, man, this is, this is the life. Like who, who would have ever thought that a, you know, small town girl would find her way to a stage mm -hmm. in Europe that would be so magnificent and beautiful. And I, I remember singing on that stage and thinking, this is, this is a very unique opportunity that I have created for myself and also been lucky enough to, to have won. Now, how about your mom? Was your mom involved with you or did you have to kind of leave your family behind to choose this dream that you had? Oh, well, this is a, <laughs> this is a great question. My mom is, so how do I describe my mom? She's very, um, like liberal, open-minded, okay. free spirit. So she was always the one that was like, go for your dreams, do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. Take, take all the restraints off of you. And my father 
was, you know, the conservative Latino who was like, I want you to live in Las Cruces. I want you to live in my compound next door. I want you to raise babies here, you know, and he, he was supportive, but he was always, um, you know, a little bit on the conservative side saying, you know, how are you going to make a living? And opera singing is not a living. And, Mm -hmm. and I think even now as a coach, he's still confused sometimes. Like, how do you make money as a coach? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Always that protective side. Yeah, well, and that's amazing. I mean, that you got the best of both worlds, and you make those decisions, and that's that's amazing. Uh, it, it can now, how have you utilized those experience in your coaching uh, career now, and what yeah. made you become a coach? Well, there was a point where I was singing nonstop for about uh, four years straight, and I was on the road ten months out of the year. So if you can imagine, that meant that the other months, the other two months of the year, I was usually coming in and out of New York to change a bag or change outfits for seasons or, you know, say a quick hello to my friends and then I was gone again. And there was a point that I was becoming very burnt out. You know, I I remember singing at, at Syracuse Opera and I had this moment where you know, I went home in the snow, you know, <laughs> and if anybody's been to Syracuse, New York, it's like, wow. I'd never grown up like anything like that, right? In New Mexico in the desert. And the snow was really high. And I remember going home to this empty artist apartment and um, I'd forgotten to get food that day before rehearsal. So there was nothing to eat and nothing was open. And I think I'd missed my my brother's fourth birthday in a row. And I wasn't with my family. And, and I'd also had a lot of relationships just crumble because I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it on the road. And so I had the night before, you know, broken up with my boyfriend uh, and he was like the third relationship in one year. And I remember just sitting there thinking, how can I be so um, incredibly lucky and grateful for what I've created and so lonely and miserable? And I had a lot of guilt, you know, especially coming from where I came from, you know, in our culture, I think it's very, it's very natural for us to think we're successful, so we should be happy and that's it. Like, you know, right. That's, you made it. So therefore be happy. And I had a lot of guilt that I wasn't happy and I was hiding it. I was very shameful about my guilt. And, um, I just remember being so, um, broken Mm -hmm. and I came off the road and I hired a coach myself. And through some of that work that we did, I really started to understand how I'd built that career Mm -hmm. and I'd built it from a sense of proving you know, proving my worth to my parents, to my community, to myself. Um, And I also collapsed it with with being a workaholic, which is Mm -hmm. another thing I'd watched my parents do, right? right? To put, to feed us and put food on the table and make sure Mm -hmm. we had a better life. But Mm -hmm. it was also from this sense of you are safe and loved and respected in the world if you work really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I had to, I had to bust up that story because it's simply not true. And, um, you know, so when I did the work through coaching, I ended up in this training program that was really a transformational program about, Mm -hmm. you know, transforming yourself from the inside out. And of course I, I took it because I thought it was the fastest way to fix myself, right? right. (laughs) which I laugh about now because really it was just a program that allowed me to fall in love with myself. (laughs) Right. Right. So you came to your journey facing your fears, right? At this point, I think we all as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as going in people's life I think you get the best out of your life when you get into this pro into this uh, point of your life where 
you face your fears. I mean, the courageous part of it is that the end result is more meaningful than what you go with that fear means right now, right? At that moment, what you face it. And that's when oh, you yeah. get that strength and that courage and do it. Um, so, and, and you say something so, so powerful. You fell in love with yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a tool. Yeah. Uh, if you can share something, I, I always tell my my listeners, uh, give a tool. But I think this is some, so powerful, Elena. If you can elaborate a little bit more, especially for women, that mm-hmm. we have the mother thing, the daughter, the niece, the, the sister, the wife, the, all these roles, the community leader, the business owner, we are pulled in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. But if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. That's true. So elaborate a little bit more on that part of falling in love with yourself. Yeah, I think it started with having to break down some of the things I'd watched my own mom model, Uh right? And my grandmother and my great-grandmother. And what I mean by that is it's everything you just said. I think there's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves as women to be everything. And and we have a lot of evidence for why we have Mm -hmm. to, right? So Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a mistake that we view it that way. But I do think that what I've learned through self-love is that if I'm not taking care of myself first and foremost, and, and what does that actually mean? That means getting eight hours of sleep. That means I'm eating well. That means I'm taking breaks. That means I'm nurturing my soul and doing things like going for a walk with my dogs or going for a hike or going to the beach or whatever whatever the thing is that I love, I give to myself before I take care of anyone else. And I don't think we're taught that. I think we're taught from a very early age that we have to be the ones for whatever reasons, right? There's there's a myriad yeah. of reasons, yes. but I found that to be the greatest lie we've been telling ourselves because um, at the end of the day, if you if your gas tank is not full, and I don't mean like half full, I mean like really full, mm-hmm. really, really full, then you actually are doing a disservice to the people that you love around you. And it's costing not only you something, but it's costing them. They don't get the best version of you. And so it's this weird cycle where if you actually stop and take care of yourself first and you're taking care of your own side of the street consistently, you're in better service of the world. And that to me is Mm -hmm. self-love. It's taking care of yourself at a level that allows you to experience your life deeply instead of just working or being here to get through your life. Yeah, it's so powerful, so powerful. You know, I was at a summit uh, this weekend, and many ladies were in different uh, uh, parts of their journeys of self-discovery and who they are. But, you know, there were ladies that were making a million dollars a year. There were other ladies that were making $10,000 a year. You know, it was a range of, but you know, the emotions, one of the things that was common is that the person that put the most uh, breaks on their dreams was mm-hmm. their mindset, that mm-hmm. that person's mentality. So regardless, even the, the person that was making a million dollars a year did not feel that she could achieve more. And mm-hmm. it was something in her mindset um, that that she needed to work through. And it was funny because it, she worked through it right as we were standing mm-hmm. there ready mm-hmm. to, to wrap up the summit. And But we all connected with her because 
we all have been there to the point of saying, oh yeah, not women, we tend to say, we're not, we're not able to do this. Uh, mm -hmm. We're not equipped. We only have 40% or 60% of the knowledge that we need. So I'm not going to apply for that job because of it. When guy says, hey, I got 40% of what I need to know. The other 60, I learned it at, you know, on the job training, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. just the way of we as women are wired because all this pressure that we, that, that is put on us. Um, yes. So, awesome. Yes. Thank you so much, Elena, for those encouraging, encouraging uh, tools that we need to support and uh, show and support other, others with. So how now, tell me a little bit more about your coaching career. Uh, yeah. Uh, tell me, uh, you know, which uh, has been the most ex exciting experience that you had. And mm. if you had a concern or a challenge and how did you overcome that challenge? Mm. Well, uh, I think the first place to start is my coaching career started because I fell in love with something as much as I loved music, right? So to c continue the theme of love, <laughs> following what you do, yes. uh, having something that you love actually be the thing that you, you step into fully um, has created everything the past eight years for me um, in my business. So I, I fell in love with coaching and I decided, okay, if I worked as hard at opera as I have, then I might as well try a coaching career. And that was eight years ago. And I've been incredibly successful since. And I think that all I can attribute that to is consistency um, and practicing some of the same techniques I used in, as an entrepreneur in the opera world. But really, um, I think what I love about it is I, I bring a creative brain into C-suite spaces. So awesome. when I first started coaching, you know, it was natural for me to think, well, I'll coach artists because I know artists. I was an artist. I can help artists. You know, and I went down this, this path of trying to really help musicians and artists. And I, and I still do have some of those slots in my practice for, for pro bono and for my heart. But really where I was most effective was in rooms in um, tech, finance, entertainment, family office, you know, some of these worlds that I knew nothing about because I'd walk into that room and I would remind people that they're creative human beings and that there are other ways outside of the box that they're currently thinking for their mindset. And that has been invaluable in the work that I've done around changing cultures in a room or having tough conversations with a CEO or a CFO or a CMO and being able to support people um, to level up. So high achievers and performers like myself that really are looking to create the next step. And I think to answer your question directly around the challenge, the biggest challenge for me so far has been number one, to let go of this, uh, you know, imposter syndrome yes. and that I don't belong in those, those rooms. Mm -hmm. I think that was the early on challenge when I was mm -hmm. first starting. And now my current challenge, you know, as, um, a six figure businesswoman is to really own what I've created and step into this leveling up of my life, which again, old haunts come up, right? Around right. guilt. And should I? And do I deserve this? And did I work hard enough for it? Right. <laughs> Which is just all my old stories that I had before. And they look different now because I know them and they're, I'm friends with them and I don't actually let them make decisions, those, uh -huh. those voices. But, um, but it's still there and I still have to tend to 
the idea that I've created this life from a different place and that I really love it. Great. Well, Elena, thank you so much for coming to the show. And my friends, Elena's information is in the description. Thank you so much for your wisdom, Elena. And to wrap up, amigos, first of all, let me tell you the quote that is one of my favorite quotes and is in my book in chapter five. Perseverance is a stubbornness with a purpose. And that's by John Shipp. Perseverance is a stubbornness with a purpose. As we wrap up the first week of February, dream big, my friends. Dream big. Doing this should bring you tears, scare you to death, and maybe even make you make others think that you are crazy. Only then you will know that you are into something worth pursuing. My friends, life is a journey. Live it full, full of energy and love every single day. This is Rosie Paulson. Stay pure, stay positive, and stay inspired. Ciao. You just enjoyed another episode of Cafecito with Rosie on air. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and visit www.rosiepaulson.com to learn more about Rosie Paulson Enterprises. Stay pure, stay positive, stay inspired.